Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. We are going to interrupt our current series to discuss an issue that is very relevant today. Now, at the time that we are recording this, we are about three weeks out from the presidential election. We are all dealing with various levels of COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, major cities around the United States are dealing with protests and rioters and burning and looting and all kinds of really troubling things going on in our land. If you open Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, just about any given day, you're going to see one verse plastered over an American flag, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So does this verse apply to America today? Well, my people called by my name having a land certainly does not because under the new covenant, the church and the people of God are believing Jews and Gentiles who are built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone and the apostle and his apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.15. I've been th preaching through Ephesians, the church. And so most of this is defining a church. And as Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, speaking for God, defines the church, he doesn't claim that the church has some land. I just, I think I mentioned this in a recent sermon. There's yes, not some, you did. Yeah, there's not some land that specifically the Christian land. I think I mentioned Rome claims the Vatican City is a Christian geopolitical entity. Right. Okay, that's their claim. Now, if we allow the Bible to define the church, the church is consists the universal church of people who are believers scattered all over the world, be they Jews or Gentiles, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ by his grace. And the establishment of a land, there's still a land promised to ethnic national Israel that won't be really completed until the millennium. There'll be a lot of intrigue during the tribulation period, but during the millennium, there'll be a rebuilt temple and a land and so on, specifically Israel. But America is, a, is one of the nations. The nations were established back in Genesis in the table of nations. And the one nation that specifically identified as under God in Deuteronomy 32, eight and nine is Israel. Okay, so Israel is the only nation ever with a covenant with God and a covenant land. Right, there's a land promise that's given to ethnic national Israel, okay? And there are many geopolitical entities called nations God established nations back in Genesis, all right? And Israel was specifically called through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Moses, and then promised a king through David, and then the lineage 
And then we know that when Messiah comes, their hope was that he would establish Israel as a sovereign land and and so forth and take a place on the throne if he's indeed the Messiah. But we know that that's not for now. It says that in Acts. The times of the epochs are in God's hand. And they ask whether now he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. But you are to be my witnesses to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. So throughout the world, we have the church comprised of believing uh, Jews and Gentiles. And I said just a bit ago, built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets as the entire foundation. So therefore, okay, therefore, Right now, there's a few, still a future promise for Israel. Providentially, they're already in the land, but not certainly with the ideal boundaries mentioned back in Genesis. And we know some other things are going to happen. But any other nation, as I, as I said, Vatican claims they're the geopolitical entity that's God's sovereign land. But the Vatican is an abomination of idolatry. And and so it certainly isn't God's land. And all of the nations are places where God is gathering people who are believers and adding them to the church. That there's some certain nation that is what God would call my land in some distinct way that no other nation is would only apply to Israel, certainly not America. And the claim that somehow America is the new Israel, it's been done in history. And then you, you have various heresies out there. There's the, the one where the Anglo-Saxons are considered the 10 lost tribes. And there are, there are many false teachings. But America is just one of the many nations that have existed since God ordained that there'd be nations with human rulers over them. Yeah. Now, a common claim we'll hear when discussing this is that the Puritans had a covenant with God. So I think we should talk a little bit about that. We're going to continue to show that America is not a covenant land, and then we'll talk about this verse in its context. So John Winthrop was the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, And I think in looking back, that's probably the one sermon where we can look back and say, okay, here's where the Puritans claim they have a covenant with God. I'm going to read it, and then we'll have you comment on, on this quote from his sermon. Now, he preached this sermon, according to history, on the deck of the ship as they pulled into Massachusetts Bay to establish this colony. And here's what he, here's what he says, and this is supposedly where America's covenant with God comes in. Thus stands the cause between God and us. We are entered into covenant with him for this work. We have taken out a commission. If the Lord shall please to hear us and bring us in peace to the place we desire, then hath he ratified this covenant and sealed our commission and will expect a strict performance of the articles contained in it. Okay. So basically, that they arrived safely showed that God had ratified a covenant with them. All right. Well, here's a problem with that. The valid covenants that God made 
the covenant with Abraham, okay, and um, the covenant going back before that with Noah, with Abraham. If you just look at the various covenants, every last one of them was initiated directly by God. Right. The same goes for the new covenant. So in no case did somebody say, okay, God, you're going to have a covenant with me. Here's the details of it, which the guy just writes or the people write or the whoever they might be. And right. then they say, and if thus and so turns out this way, then you ratified it. Right. The arrogance of that is stunning. It is. It reminds me of, of Satan bringing Jesus uh, to the temple, say, throw yourself off the temple and the angels will catch you. That's tempting God. And Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Because if you throw yourself off and the angels catch you, does that prove that it was right? No. Well, see, it's us tempting God. So the Puritans were tempting God by obligating God to a covenant that he hadn't previously said he wanted or agreed to. Right. All right. And then uh, in God's providence, they either land and survive there or they barely survive. But right. wh whether they did or didn't, didn't doesn't matter uh, in the sense of, therefore, God was now s stuck with this covenant that he never said he agreed to. Right. Now, if you look at this passage that people are misusing in Chronicles, and it had to do with Solomon and the temple. All right. Okay. And so what we want to know is, did Solomon obligate God to a covenant that God never agreed to? All right, let's take a look. Well, if that's what happened, well, then I guess maybe the Puritans uh, had some kind of basis or thinking that might be okay. But that's not exactly what happened. In fact, it's not at all what happened. All okay. Right. So let me just look at 2 Chronicles 7. The parallel passage, 1 Kings 9, and then I want to go back even before that to 1 Kings 8. Okay. Right? So 1 Kings 8, 16, and this has to do, again, with the beginning of God interacting with Solomon concerning what's going to happen. So in 1 Kings 8, 16 to 18, and I'm citing the New American Standard Bible, since the day that I brought my people, Israel, from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. So first of all, God chose Israel. Israel didn't volunteer to be the people of God. God chose them. God predicted this when he chose Abraham and spoke in a theophany directly to Abraham and established a unilateral covenant in which only God went through the pieces of the animal. Okay, it was God's covenant with Abraham. And he chose a people. He didn't choose a place or a house, but he did choose David to be over Israel later. Okay, now that Solomon is his son. Now let me read verse 17. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well 
that was in your heart. So now we have God himself validating the idea of the house or the temple. Okay. Right? And this right. was in a theophany. This wasn't, well, we will set out and we find enough builders, then we know that God was in it. We have God himself validating it through a direct revelation, this, a theophany, God speaking to Solomon. Right, and speaking audible words. Yeah, to, actually to David. The Lord said to my father David, now these are real words. Okay. This is, this is just some idea in his head. Because right. it was in your heart to build a house in my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Now, now we go to 1 Kings 9, verse 1. 1 Kings 9, verse 1. Now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built, by putting my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So God appeared, had appeared. This is a real tangible appearance, what we call theophany in theology. Okay. And this temple got ordained. Now, we know that there, later there's going to be a whole, whole lot of things that happen, including the destruction of it because of apostasy and various things that happen. But there's still a hope and a promise that we see in Luke-Acts. And we know that there's going to be more intrigue during the tribulation when the Antichrist will make a deal and it'll be really bad. But in the end, there'll be a millennial kingdom. But nevertheless, uh, listeners, this is not some nation somewhere deciding they wanted to obligate God to a covenant. It was God doing what God promised to the patriarchs and making valid, infallible words, to, or saying valid, infallible words to Solomon, and these are written down in Scripture. And this right. happened in the context of a theophany. There was no theophany for these pilgrims. No. They made all this stuff up. They were doing what they wanted to do, which is their freedom. Okay? They left England. And they did what they wanted to do. They wanted to escape persecution and have a better place to practice their, their faith in Christ. That's fine. But they don't have a prophet. They did not have a theophany, and they didn't have the authority to write up a long or short or any kind of a document and say, there, God, this is your covenant. You put your imprimatur on it. If we land there and we're okay, then you agree to it. it does that would be like right. Jesus jumping off the temple and wanting the angels to catch him, which he wouldn't do. They tempted God. Yeah. Right? Yep. So that's not right. We can know that that's not right. Now, in God's providence, we do end up with America, and we end up with freedoms that we thank God for. But that's all about providence. Providence contains good and evil. And Christians always have to use the Scripture alone to determine what God approves of and what he doesn't. Right. Okay, so we can't go back to the writings of the Puritans 
and say what they said was the very words of God and we're all bound by them. And we can't say not only are we bound by them, but God himself is bound by the words of man. So the only way God can get out of this covenant that they were going to demand that he keep with them would be if he made their boats crash and they all die. (laughs) Apparently. Well, that's tempting God. Right. Listeners, search the scriptures. Don't just listen to these slogans that sound romantically appealing to our notions and our ideas about what we think things should be like. But we need to get a biblical worldview about God's relationship to various nations, the biblical definition of the church, the very words of God that are binding on Christians that are given by his apostles and prophets, not by some people in church history. Lately, we've been claiming that God himself defines the church in scripture, not things in church history. Things in church history have to be discerned and judged based on Scripture alone. Now, the Reformers said that. I don't know whatever happened because a lot of people who say they believe in Lutheran Reformed theology don't seem to have any interest in Scripture alone. No, they sure don't. And when it comes to ecclesiology and eschatology, that's where they just jump off the ship, so to speak, when it comes to Scripture alone. They'd rather have their idea that America, we live here, so I guess we're rather self-centered if we think that we're the only nation that matters to God. But somehow America is a covenant nation. And some say replacing Israel and others say, well, sort of parallel to Israel or we're the new Israel. But whatever their claim is, they want America to be a new covenant nation like Israel and be under various stipulations. But the problem is we don't have a prophet. We don't have valid theophanies. Joseph Smith claimed one. Right. We've got many false cults in America who take off based on their claim that America is somehow God's covenant nation. But No, we're just one of the nations. Maybe that's too humbling for us. We're just one of the nations. Now, in God's providence, we've been a nation very much blessed with great freedoms and liberties. And that's certainly what people were looking for, is the liberty to worship God without being attacked by governments that want to kill us. I mean, these are valid things to desire, and all people would desire that wherever they are. Christians anywhere, and I uh, interact with Christians around the world, they all want to be able to, to, to raise their families, to worship God, to trust in God, and not be killed by somebody. But there's no guarantee that won't happen because martyrdom has happened throughout history because Christians are hated. And now we're at a point in our situation here in America where we are back in the status of being hated. Yes, and we're being sure. blamed for whatever wrong there may be that some uh, left-wing socialists think is wrong. And so let's just blame the Christians. Let's attack the Christians. And that's going on, but it's not new. It happened in the Roman Empire. Tertullian's famous lament, uh, should the Tiber 
overflows bank and it goes on and it talks about the different natural catastrophes that might happen in the Roman Empire. Yeah. And Julian said, the cry is the same. The Christians to the lion. Right. Okay. So the Romans were blaming Christians for anything that went wrong in Rome because the Christians weren't serving the pagan deities. Okay. Yep. So the gods were mad. So let's kill off some Christians and maybe the gods won't be mad. But see, yeah, I, I, the Rome, Romans were wicked people who hated God and they wanted to kill Christians. But civil government is there to restrain evil, not to establish covenants with God. Right. All right. And so we want to make these grand claims, but we're just putting the ball on the teeth, uh, so to speak, for the pagans to blame us for everything. Yes. And honestly, looking at this verse, it's rather like Christians blaming Christians. Well, right. And so I've, been, I've heard this off and on since I became a Christian in 1971. I've heard this verse quoted out of context my entire Christian life. Okay. But that's really, they're not reading the whole context or even trying to understand the point. Now, back to our looking at the context, okay? okay. Uh, I'm in 1 Kings 9, which is a parallel section about the same event. Okay. 1 Kings 9, 2, the Lord appeared to Solomon. So there's our theophany. Verse 3, I've heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I've consecrated this house, which you have built by putting my name there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So there's the promise. Verse okay. 4, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, to keep my statutes and my ordinance, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And then it says, but if your sons turn away from me, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I set, and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them and the house which I've consecrated and cast them out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the people. And this house will become a heap of ruins, which, by the way, has happened twice now. Right. Solomon's and then the rebuilt one by Herod. Yep. But God never actually withdrew the covenant with David that he would have a man on the throne. Right. Okay. The claim of the New Testament. Here's the claim of the New Testament. That Jesus Christ is that descendant of David. All right. The greater son. The son of God. And that he, according to the New Testament, where Psalm 110 is quoted more than any other Old Testament passage, now reigns at the right hand of God in heaven. Yep. Right? And then while he is so reigning, the temple having been destroyed in 70 AD, but he's reigning, God is gathering from all of the peoples through the gospel, believers, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, Poor, it doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, whatever country you're from, whatever situation you're in, 
however bad your life has been in the past, how many wicked sins you've ever committed, if you turn to Jesus Christ and trust in him alone, the one who died for sins and was raised on the third day and bodily ascended to heaven, trust in him, your sins will be forgiven. You'll be part of the church. You'll be built up as, as built as a building block on that foundation of Christ the cornerstone and his apostles and prophets. And you will be part of the eternal kingdom. Amen. And, and Jesus Christ is reigning now over the people. And he's governing his universe through providence. Yep. And in God's providence, there are various nations and different things have happened in history. And, and dear listeners, you have to use discernment. Whatever happens in history, we have to judge in light of Scripture. So I'm doing that with the Puritans. And I'm saying, no, they tempted God by trying to obligate God to a covenant that he hadn't written. He didn't send his prophet to write it. They didn't have a theophany from God. And they tempted God by saying, well, if we land safely, then you agreed to it. Right. But God in his love and mercy and providence intended that they would land safely. But that doesn't prove he agreed to that covenant. That would be like I said, Jesus jumping off the pinnacle of the temple, which God, he wouldn't do because he perfectly obeyed the Father. Mm-hmm. So if the angel caught him, that's, that's why you don't do it. You don't want to tempt God. They should have just said, if God wills, will land, it will serve him by his grace, according to the terms of the new covenant. But they weren't satisfied with that. They wanted to set up a theocracy. And why were they fleeing to start with? Because some misguided people were trying to rule over a nation in the name of Christ and doing it wrongly and abusively. Right. The answer to a theocracy is not setting up a different theocracy somewhere else. Right. And in so doing, what do you end up with? The very air that Rome created when they thought they were a theocracy. You have wars and you have people. uh, Many things happen. And so you have South America with all the problems they've had in history. Well, because Rome was going to go into place after place and set up their Romish theocracy under the Pope and force everybody to become Christian, whether they believe the gospel or not. Right. Okay, so uh, are we to believe now, let's go back to the misuse of the verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Let me read verses 13 and 14. From now we'll go back to Chronicles, parallel account of 1 1 Kings 9. Okay. Verse 13, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name, who was that? Israel. Israel. Yep. And the Israel existed because God had unilaterally made covenants. Right. And God was the covenant maker. God made the covenant. Go read Genesis 15. Abraham fell asleep, and uh, in a theophany, God goes between the parts and, the, and the, walks the blood trail. God intended that there'd be Israel, not because they were so great or there were many, but because they were the, the least of all people, but that God would bring honor to his own name. Yeah. Okay? 
And because of this covenant and because they had prophets, they had a way of knowing that if there's a famine or a pestilence, that it was an actual judgment of God because they had prophets to tell them that. Right. Right. We don't have that. There's no infallible prophet from God that meets the qualifications of Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. There is no such person in America. No. Okay, America is not Israel, and we don't have any prophets, not valid ones. We've had thousands of false prophets, but we don't have a valid one who has never been wrong and always has the doctrine of God perfectly right. The prophet that Moses predicted, Deuteronomy 18, the New Testament claims in many places, including John 5 and in Acts, is Moses in in an amount of transfiguration. Uh, Not Moses, Jesus. Moses pointed to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The greater Moses is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son, listen to him. So dear ones, we, the prophets are in the Bible. They're not running around America. Right. Okay, and the Puritans weren't the prophets of God. I don't think this is even difficult. Why can't we figure this out? We can't figure it out because we're not even trying. Yep, exactly. It makes us feel pious. And then how exactly is it helping us? So let's just read. Okay, so there's a pestilence or whatever goes wrong. My people call by my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. We'll heal their land. Well, what's, what we can glean from that that would be applicable, that any people that love God want to turn from idolatry, the, the specific thing that comes up here in this context is a sacrifice to other gods. Right. Okay, so that's what always did them in. That's what created the split in the kingdoms and the destruction of the northern kingdom. Idolatry polytheism, so on. Well, America has plenty of that, but America is not Israel. Now, if somebody is a Christian and they're practicing polytheism and idolatry and serving other gods, like we've talked about Christians doing yoga. Right. Well, they're, 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 they're apostate. They need to repent. But we don't own a land. We don't have a temple. Okay? So what God is dealing with is persons who are disciplined by the Lord and called to repent and serve him. Now, as I preached just yesterday, that doesn't mean that Christians who are faithful to God are never going to have problems. Right. Boy, if you're sure a Christian do. farmer, that doesn't mean you ne- you'll never lose a crop through drought. No. And we sit here, and we can't do this. We can't sit here and point our fingers at other Christians and say, well, God's angry and doing all these things because you're not doing it right. And that's why America has all these problems. You can't know that. That's claiming to know the mind of the Lord in a way which we don't know the mind of the Lord. Jesus said uh, about Christians that had suffered, do you think there were sinners than the other people in Galilee? 
Right. Louisiana has just been hit by two hurricanes. Are we going to say, obviously, Louisiana has way worse sinners than Minnesota. Yeah, we, you know, we can't even know that. We can't know that. And frankly, Minnesota, judging by what's been going on here, has all the sinners anybody could ever want. <laughs> yeah. Burning down their own city. It's insane yeah. what's going on here. It's, it's, people are afraid to even go downtown and go to Target on Nicollet Mall because roving bands of dangerous people are down there and they can't even get business. They got all, it's all boarded up still right. months later. So we got our own sinners. So how do we know that Louisiana has worse sinners because they had two hurricanes hit them? That's just not how we determine these things. Well, I've been preaching this for decades. But why, yeah. but I don't, why is it so hard to understand? Honestly, I think it's confusing America with Israel. Well, that's where I call that. This, I'm glad we're doing this show. And you read that stuff from Winthrop. It's yeah, our, yeah. what I call our national myth. It is. It's, it's a myth that America has a covenant with Israel, with God, because God establishes his own covenants directly or through infallible prophets. And mostly it's directly as with Abraham. Yep. God appeared God, to Noah. God yeah. appeared to Abraham. God appeared to Moses, right, on Sinai. Mm -hmm. And, uh, God here appeared to Solomon. Yes. And God ultimately appeared as was, as we said on the Mount Transfiguration, when God said about the son, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Moses and Elijah disappear. The only one we need to listen to now is Christ. And he has spoken to us once for all through his apostles and prophets. So whoever in history, wherever they are, whether it's the Pope, or some bishop somewhere, or Joseph Smith, or people that have a little better theology, like the Puritans, they don't have the authority to obligate God to a covenant that he never agreed to. That's right. You know, God is the covenant maker. We are only covenant breakers. It's what right. we do. It's why we need him. That's why we need to repent and turn to Christ. Yeah. Okay. So All right. can we learn anything from 2 Corinthians 7, 14? Yes. That is, we should always flee from idolatry. Okay. Flee from covetousness. Trust God. Come to Christ on his terms. Acknowledge the authority of Scripture. And ask God for grace to live according to the dictates and commands of the new covenant that we're under okay that's right all right we don't have a land we just live in various countries all over the world and we seek god through christ we don't have a land right now in america we have freedom to to vote and i i exercise my freedom and the last time i voted two years ago every single person i voted for lost <laughs> So that tells me I think differently than the average person here in the metropolitan part of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota area, yeah. first ring suburb. But I, I don't think like they do. I look at the lawn signs. I don't think like anybody around here. No. And the people in, in the state I live in, so many of them that are the most vocal, call good evil and evil good. They sure do. 
and I just have to thank God that I could still preach the gospel. I could still call people to repentance, and I can still talk about Christ and teach the details that are laid out for the new covenant that we're under through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll have to wrap it up there. We are out of time. We would like to remind you that you can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. We also want to remind you to, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramis and Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week. Yeah.